Colossians chapter 3, verse 7, would you stand with me as we read God's word together? Thank you for your patience this morning, by the way. Sometimes things don't go as planned. This is God speaking through the, the Apostle Paul to the church in Colossae, but also to you and me just as much. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of the Creator. Here, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and is in all. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would help us today through your spirit to understand the power of these words and the transforming nature of these words. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. This morning's message is entitled... How to reset your relationships. How to reset your relationships. Now next week, we'll look at replacing toxic behaviors with healthy behaviors in our relationships. And so we're going to be looking at relationships in the next few weeks. And so you want to be sure to be here for that. How to replace toxic behaviors in your relationships. Next week, we'll look at specific ways that you can take those things in your relationships that are unhealthy and replace them with healthy things. If God can transform your relationships, he will use that to transform your life, and life will be a lot better for you and for me. And so today, before we get to that next week, today we're going to look at how to reset your relationships, and we'll talk about how, that, how we do that in just a moment. I want to ask you as we begin this morning, have you ever moved somewhere for a fresh start? Things weren't going well, having struggles of one kind or another, a relationship ends, or job or career ends, or you're just in the middle of a, of a mess, oh, so many pressures, it just seems toxic, and so you move just to get a fresh new start. Of course, that's the beauty of getting married, going off to college, retiring to be near the grandkids, or taking that career job somewhere else. It's a new start. I went to a wedding last week. It was one of our church members. Uh, grew up here in the church. And he and his wife, I knew them well. I've known them for many years. It was an outdoor wedding here in Texas in August. So that was an interesting event. I looked at my phone when the wedding started, and it was 105. And so it was easy to... It was easy to spot the people that were not from Texas. Most of us had a good time out there in that sun, but uh, I could tell the ones that were, weren't used to the Texas heat. Are you getting married? Engaged? Remarried? You have a new friendship? You're in a new town? You have a new church home? A new job? A new school? Don't you want to start off fresh? Nobody, I don't think goes to a new place, a new job, a new school, or a new relationship and thinks, you know, I hope this has the same problems the last one did. <laughs> I hope this is just a big mess. Nobody thinks that. On the contrary, you want it to be better because it's new. You have hope and optimism that it will be so. 
Um, you don't want to start off the same old way. Actually, sometimes we don't really want to start off fresh, even though we don't realize it. Pretty soon, it seems, in the newness of it all, that that new job really isn't better than the old one. Maybe worse. That new spouse still has the same annoying habits that the old spouse had, and it drives you crazy. Those new neighbors aren't any more friendly than the last neighbor. Or those classmates or that teacher really isn't better than the one you had last semester. Now, when you get into college, kids, you can drop your class if you don't like it. <laughs> that teacher, if you don't like their attitude, just go right over to the administration office and drop that class. That'll teach them. And then give them a bad rating on ratemyprofessor.com. But next uh, the next professor in the next class, in the next semester you take to replace that class may not be any better. In fact, they may be even worse. We struggle with that. Why can't we start off fresh? Well, one of the biggest reasons may be because we drag our past with us. And it may be your relationships that you're having right now are struggling because of you. Or my relationships are struggling because of me. And we don't like to think about that. I'd really rather it be my professor's fault or my wife's fault or both or my kid's fault or my boss's fault, which is you. <laughs> I, we'd rather blame somebody else and to admit maybe the reason that there's toxicity in my life is it's emanating actually from me. Unknowingly, we bring the past along with us into current and future relationships, relationships of all kinds. A previous marriage, a previous friendship that went sour, a co-worker that just drove you crazy, and now you just won't entrust anybody around you at work anymore. And that is due in part to the design of the family. Young people, moms and dads, of course you probably already know this, the relationships that you have at home and that you teach your children and young people, you're going to be married with kids tomorrow. <laughs> and what you teach that child, even at a very, very young age, is the model for the rest of their life as to how they'll handle relationships. If there's a lot of yelling and screaming in your house with your young children, your children are gonna grow up and they're gonna do a lot of yelling and screaming. If they're in denial or they don't deal with issues at all as they come up, they don't handle problems well, then when you grow up and you're gonna teach that same thing to your children. Unknowingly, we bring the past along with us into our current and our future relationships. So today, I want us to consider how we can start fresh. Wherever we are and whoever we're with, so the last thing I'm going to tell you as the pastor is go get you a new wife or a new husband or new kids or new parents or a new boss. I want you to be blessed right where God has placed you. I love Colossians chapter 3, verse 7 through 10, our passage for today. Last week, Chris shared with you in a beautiful message on Revelation chapter 5 about a worship service that will be taking place in heaven if you weren't here last week, go not right now, but go watch it online uh, on our website or on Facebook and, and watch that message about that heavenly worship service. It was about worship. But as he was reading that passage, he, he did 
read one thing that really, stood, well, a number of things that stood out to me, but one thing that really, really stood out to me, and I want to mention it today, he talked about, or Re Revelation chapter 5, talks about the participants in worship in heaven. That it will be actually a very diverse crowd. Paul is dealing with that, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But John, in Revelation, says that there will be people, and this is the quote from chapter 5, from every tribe and language and people and nation. Now, why does he mention that? I mean, we're in heaven. What do we care? I think we, we have this delusion or this, this bad doctrinal idea, you can call this the bad doctrine of the week, that in heaven we will all look like Casper the Ghost. We'll all be see-through, transparent, and we'll frankly all look alike. I don't know where we get that. It's not in the Bible. You won't look like Casper the Ghost. You'll have a heavenly body. It is a spiritual body, but it is still a body. It is a glorified body, an eternal body. And so whatever it is, whatever that means, we will be distinctive. It'll be a diverse crowd, and yet that we, we will always be united as one. And so Chris describes that diverse group from, in fact, it says from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation. That's as diverse as it gets. Everywhere. There will be people there that used to be Russians and used to be Chinese and used to be North Korean. There are North Koreans right now, Christians, godly people who are suffering in prison or hiding because of their faith. We'll see them in heaven. We'll worship right by home. There will be people from every height and every background and every shape, all kinds of people. It will be a diverse crowd. But even more interesting... There will be many in heaven worshiping God who aren't even human. I'm not talking about Vulcans. <laughs> the, the Bible actually says that there will be creatures in heaven. Now, we know a few of them with the cherubim and the, uh, the, and the seraphim. They'll be amazing creatures worshiping in heaven. But I would, I would guess, I think it's a pretty good guess, that there are creatures in heaven that will be worshiping alongside us that we don't even know anything about. It's a diverse place. Some of them will have wings and multiple eyes. And as the Bible describes, it will be quite a worship service. Amen? Now, some of you look a little different than others, but you all, not, nobody has wings that I'm aware of or eyes, multiple eyes. It will be a diverse group, but it doesn't make any difference. Such diversity and yet perfect unity. How is that possible? Nobody will be in the crowd in heaven thinking, that guy's so tall, I can't see anything. <laughs> He's blocking the throne. Paul tells us in our passage this morning in Colossians chapter 3, 11, where he says, There is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Now here's the thing. Some of them were from a Jewish background and some of them were Greek. And you could tell immediately when you looked at them as they looked at each other. And as they're reading this for the first time, the Colossians are, are probably thinking, what is he talking about? There's a Jew right over there. There's a Greek right over there. I know that guy, he, he's a Scythian or whatever. Well, Paul is saying none of that stuff matters anymore. 
That's how the world designates and distinguishes you from everybody else. There were traditional ways of distinguishing groups of people in the first century as there are in the 21st century. Based on which group you were in, your life was held in higher or lower standing and importance. And that was the first century. That's just how it was. If you were a slave, you were identified as a slave. If you were a slave owner, you were a slave owner. If you were a Roman citizen, that meant something. If you were a Jew, that meant something else. And so they all come together because they, they usually just worship separately. And now they're all coming together in a Christian church to follow Christ. And it seems to be an oddity. You understand that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the most uniting, transformative thing that has ever happened in history. It has done more to unite people than any government, any law, any constitution. It is that powerful. And so he's describing these radical words here. He even says, there's no more slave or free, no more Greek or Jew. And they've got to be reading this going, what do you mean? It took a lifetime for them to understand that at the foot of the cross, we are all the same. We are all equal in God's eyes. In our nation today, we also seem to be obsessed with groups and identity. We as a nation seem almost desperate to place ourselves in the correct grouping. And if I don't feel like I belong in this group, I want to be in that group over there. No matter what, because then I'll have that identity and then I will feel better about myself or my life will be better. We want to place ourselves in, in a group that's special. Nobody has ever come to me and say, Pastor, do you know of any mediocre groups? Do you know any groups that just really don't have much of an identity? I want to be in that group. No, we all want to be special and distinctive from the rest. So we do things in our life to distinguish us, to make us special and different from everybody else, just to distinguish ourselves. To be in that group, <clears throat> we do things, say things, wear things, pierce things, style our hair, get a tattoo, buy a garment, color our nails, and attempt to be different and unique. Now, I'll tell you this, God, God is creative. He created us. He is by nature creative. He is the ultimate artist, and we are made in his image, and so there's an artist in all of us. I used to teach art, and I love art because it is a part of God's image in us. God's creative, so we're creative. And as creative beings, we want to, you know, I have a bright yellow car because I like yellow. <laughs> we want to see things and do things that are different. Nothing wrong with that unless you're using that creativity for the purpose of trying to be unique or special. A car will never make you be special. That fingernail polish, that hair color, that gender identity, none of that will ever make you special. Every now and then, and I'm not anti-tattoo or I don't, I don't spew anti-tattoo, whatever, I don't, I don't, of course, again, my kids will tell you there's no tattoos in my family, but, but I encounter some, some tattoos, again, that are done by artists that are just stunning. I don't recommend it. I'm not saying that. I do respect great work, and I see other tattoos that clearly the artist had a vision problem. 
And I'll ask, why did you get that tattoo? Well, it was my fraternity. They, see, they, they went out as a fraternity. Only it, last, it only lasts four years. It's over just like that. But at the time, is the end-all, cure-all, you know. So you got to get that tattoo on your ankle or wherever because you're in that fraternity or in that group of people. Or, or you're in the service and your whole group of guys went out and you're not going to wimp out. And so they get that ridiculous tattoo of that Hawaiian woman in an in a outfit and I'll say, why did you get that? Well, I'll be honest, I was drunk. I don't actually remember it. <laughs> Not a good reason to get a tattoo, by the way. But we do that. We have identifiers to distinguish us in a particular group. Let me tell you what group you're in. This is what Paul's trying to get to the, uh, through to the Colossian church. He's speaking to Christians here. Not not guests, not, not interested visitors, not people on the outside. He's talking about the redeemed here. Believers in Christ. He says, you don't have to do those kinds of things. In fact, how this world groups you as slave or free, Greek or Jew or any other thing, that stuff doesn't matter anymore compared to the reality that you are a believer in Christ. You are part of the redeemed and compared to that, nothing else matters. It was everything in that society if you were a slave or free. And I believe that everybody should be, uh, should be free. You shouldn't be a slave to anybody. But that won't get you to heaven. What good does it do? Paul would say to be emancipated from your slavery if you're still a slave to your sins. On the other hand, what good does it do to be a Roman citizen? Or, on the other hand, he would say to some of the believers, what good is it that you grew up as a Jew and you think you're better than everybody else because you're Jewish? Being Jewish has never gotten you to heaven and never will. It was that covenant that you had with God. And the rest of it was grace that covered it until the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And by the way, there's no more any Jew. There's only lost and saved. I would say this to my Jewish friends. You, you want to go to heaven, that comes through Jesus Christ and nothing else. And that's not me. That's what the New Testament says. And that's what he's trying to get across to them. How are the world identifies you? That's over with. Now you are one in Christ. And so a word about our identity there. Because we're new. Because Christ changed us, we need to embrace the new self and let go of the practice of the old self. And so he's trying to get this idea, you're new, you're new, you're new. But then he says this in verse 7. Look with me again in Colossians chapter 3, verse 7. He says, you used to walk in these ways in your, the life that you once lived. But now you must rid yourself of all things such as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Now let me stop right there. He says, you used to walk in these ways. He says, before you were a Christian, this is how you lived. But now, now that you are a Christian, he's speaking to Christians, you must get rid, which means that they haven't gotten rid of it. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, I love the story, but people come and tell me. I used to cuss like a sailor, but I got saved and I hadn't said one cuss word yet. But most of the time, that does not happen. The first time you get cut off in traffic, oh, you know all those words. You're good at using those words. 
and that guy's a jerk. He's got it coming. I know how you feel, brother. <laughs> oh, do I know? Now, pastors, we come up with our own words, uh, our own bad words. Uh, it's funny how we, we do that, but our heart's in the same place, even though we may technically be saying different words. And so you, that old nature comes back in and wants to, to re... In fact, if you look in the next, in verse 9, excuse me, in verse 8, he says, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language. Now, these are not this or this or this. They're all interconnected. Again, you go out into traffic, anger leads to rage, rage leads to malice, malice leads to stand, slander, and leads to filthy language. And, and it happens in about two seconds. The whole thing. <laughs> you, go, you go right from anger to bad language pretty quickly. And then he gives a special sentence for this in verse 9. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. Even though you're believers in Christ, there is this transformative thing that happens in your life that the Holy Spirit is leading you and I through that will last a lifetime and take a lifetime. Now don't get me wrong, young people, that doesn't mean you can go to your parents and say, the pastor said it's going to take a lifetime for me to stop swearing. <laughs> Well, no, actually, you can do some of these overnight. You can do some of these this morning if you really want to. How many swear words have I said up here as your pastor? I don't, I don't cuss up here. If I were to take, don't raise your hand, if I were to take the one in here that cusses the most, you won't even make it to your car this morning before you turn to your family member and say a cuss word. Again, don't, don't raise your hands, and spouses don't raise their hand either. If I were to ask you, the one who swears the most, to come up here and say a few words this morning, chances are, standing here behind this pulpit, your language would be pretty clean, would it not? It would be swear word free up here. If you can do it up here, you can do it out there. We just don't want to. And that's part of the challenge so how do we do this? How, 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 do we, how do we renew our relationship in, in, some, in a way that's meaningful, that's substantive, and not just something that we say, we say that we're going to do, but actually we'll do it? Well, let me give you a, a few suggestions this morning. Number one, you have to let go of the past. If you want to have any newness in your relationships at all, you have to let go of the past. Now, I'm not talking about getting rid of all your... Your, your kids or your spouses or your friends or your bosses and just leave town and start all over. I'm talking about in the midst of those relationships, you have to let go of the past. I've learned in 25 years of marriage, Sherry and I celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary this last week. And in doing that, we, one of the reasons we made it 25 years, and those of you who've been married for a long time know this as well, is that you have to learn to let go of the past. Because if you, if you live with another human being long enough, there's a past of some kind. We all say things and do things that we, we, don't, we don't find constructive in a relationship. We do things and say things in the heat of the moment or in anger, and we have to let that go. You have to let that go in any relationship for it to last. And if you don't, you're going to get married. It's going to last a few years, and it's going to fall apart. You're going to get married again. And for some of us, you're going to date, but you can't get past date number three. Something about that third date, 
you, you just get relaxed enough to say things that you shouldn't say. And they think, uh-oh. And that's the end of it. And so you have to learn to start new and fresh where you are. So let go of the past. Paul mentions it. Bad habits, bad feelings, bad memories, wounded hearts, anger, rage, slander, bad language, bitterness. You have to let it all go. We call that stuff baggage. That's our term. Or trash. You may have a lot of undealt with baggage or trash in your life. Let me give you a few responses to baggage. Of course, the most popular is we just deny it. Now, we don't deny uh, our spouse's baggage <laughs> or our kid's baggage or our parents' baggage. We deny our own baggage in our life. When it comes to dealing with our emotional baggage, many of us have a challenge because we either deny the obvious or pretend everything is okay or we're blinded to our own issues and we don't think it's our baggage at all. We think our baggage is great. It's just that everybody else thinks our baggage is not great. I see it all the time, and so do you. I don't have a problem. Everybody else does. Others are disappointing. Others are to blame. Others have issues, not me. That's just denial. For some, they could have a thousand jobs, and none of them will work out. And they'll keep saying, I can't find a good boss. If they could have a thousand different marriages, for some people, none of those marriages would work out. They could go through friendship after friendship, relationship after relationship, and they never, ex they, they never accept the obvious truth. It's me. It's me. I told you we had a man in the church one time, been married nine times, and he still didn't get it to the day he died. Bless his heart. I wanted to say to him, Buddy, after nine marriages, it's you. And you died a single man. It's you. That's denial. He was living in denial. There has to be this moment where we say, I have emotional, relational baggage that I'm bringing into this job, into this friendship, into this marriage that is unhealthy and destructive, and I need to let it go. For those who live in denial, it's never about joy or moving forward. It's never about forgiveness or optimism or hope. It's always about blame, anger, finding fault, and resentment. And listen to me, and you may be right. It may be you, have, you just had a terrible run of bosses, or your spouse was terrible. Maybe you're right. But if you live with this attitude of everything is about somebody else's deficiency, it's always about them. It's always their baggage. Then you'll never move forward. So think about that. God wants you to have joy. He wants you to move forward. He wants you to have for forgiveness. He wants you to have hope in your life, and you'll never have that if you're living in denial. Second, for those who will not let go of the past, there is an overwhelming sense of helplessness. The belief that you have no control over the baggage, that it controls you and your situation, and there's just nothing you can do about it. Well, you can. Number two, so we deny it. Number two, we transfer it. We transfer it. Our anger, withdrawal, distrust, bitterness, unforgiveness usually manifests itself in bad habits. And we transfer all those issues into our bad habits. In attempting to deal with your emotional baggage, you may turn to food or alcohol, or work, or sex, or drugs, or Amazon to feel better. 
Amen. <laughs> One honest person in the crowd. Ultimately, when we transfer our trash, we don't really transfer it. We just make more trash. We'll spew our issues on anyone who will listen. We'll text it, post it, announce it, whisper it, rehearse it, and email it. Anybody and everywhere. Number three, we'll release it. We'll release it. We'll deny it, we'll transfer it, or we will release it. Look at what Paul says in verse 8. He says, do you see verse 8, second line? But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. There are two words that you really need to notice here. The first word is now. So when do you need to deal with your problem? When, when, you need, when do you need to deal with your baggage? Next Tuesday? In six months? Paul would say, now. What are you, what are you waiting on? Here, today. Get rid of it. Deal with it. Here, now. Now means now. And then he says this, you must rid yourselves. You know what that tells me? If we're waiting for the angel Gabriel to come down and wave a magic wand over us and say, you're now released from all your baggage. It's not going to happen. We're redeemed. And you and I have been, given, have been given power and authority through the Holy Spirit to get rid of this stuff ourselves. And I can't tell you what amazing power that is because out in the world, they are powerless. Apart from Christ, you just wallow in your misery. But in the kingdom, you've been given power from on high to get rid of it. And that's what he says. Get rid of it. You must rid yourselves in the name of Christ. So release it. Let it go. Well, the problem is a lot of times we don't want to release it. We like it. <laughs> we don't want to forget. We don't want to get rid of it. Blame is a whole lot easier and more fun. It's true that some of our baggage is other people's fault. Some of it is our fault. And some of it's neither other people's fault or our fault. It's the result of living in a fallen world. But it is baggage nonetheless. And it's weighing us down and we need to let it go. Why? Because as followers of Christ, those things from our past are toxic. They're trash. Other people can't shake it, but through Christ, you can let go of your trash. You can be rid of it. There's an old video I found this week. I may have shown it to you many years ago. I had not seen it in a very long time, but it is very profound. It's just a couple of actors, and one of them is playing the role of Jesus. The other one is playing the role of you and me, and it's about a conversation they had one day about trash. Watch this. Jesus. Well, it's been a long time. Yeah, um, I didn't expect to see you here. Whoa, what's that smell? That smell? Oh, um, well, that's my trash. I just, I'm a little embarrassed about it. Oh, well, is that why you're avoiding me? Avoiding you? I, I, I haven't really been avoiding you. I just, you know, I don't, I don't want to get close to you. I mean, I, I just, I don't want you to smell it. I'll take it, Kat. Come oh, on. No, 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 that's okay. I mean, I made it. It's my trash. You know, I should carry it. It's, it's okay. Yeah, but Kat, I mean, 
This is my job. Right. I take people's trash. That's what I do. So. Right. Okay. Well, maybe I could go and just clean it up a little bit, you know, and then I'll just I'll come back. No. Okay. I'll need you to do that. Um, okay. I'll take it from you so you don't have to carry the weight. Oh well. I, come on. Uh, just, just hand it over. Uh, All right. Let go. Let go. Yeah. 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 How's that feel? Now that's actually pretty profound, is it not? And it, it hits home with all of us, including me, because a lot of times we just like our trash, but God is telling you today, now get rid of it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, another letter, Paul says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. God is all about newness. And we need to let him make everything new. If you use a computer, a tablet, or a phone long enough, it seems to get slower and slower and slower. That's because it is inevitable you have apps on there that are running in the background that are slowing it down. Cherry and I, when we went on our mission trip just a month or two ago with the kids, I had to download four or five apps just for the trip. The, the government of the Philippines required it, something about the COVID thing. They, we, it was a form we had to fill out. And then two different airlines that we flew on, they had their own app to do the reservations and the seating assignments and that sort of thing. And so I had, I think there was a U.S. government. So I had all these apps on there. I got back. We had great time. God blessed. Uh, and uh, we made it back safely. And I'm in my office one day and I see all of these apps on my phone. And I'm thinking, you know, I don't need these anymore. And there, some of them were running in the background for no, for no reason. 
I don't know what those governments were doing, running in the background, but I had delete, <laughs> delete, delete, delete. And even if I use them one day in the future, they'll have a different app or an upgraded app. That app won't even work anymore. How many apps do you have? I mean, don't go to your folder right now, but if you scroll through your folder, do you recognize all those? They're just junking up your phone or junking up your computer. Well, we have stuff in our life the same way. We just pretend it's not there and it just continues to junk us up and junk us up. It's just trash. It's just trash. And God says, you need to rid yourself of that today. Get rid of it. Have a fresh start. There was a time when we had this problem on the computer that we had at the time here in the sanctuary. We had so many sermons and graphics and pictures and videos and so many things on that hard drive. It was full and it, it couldn't do the caching anymore and it just was bogged down. So I ended up just reformatting the hard drive. Saved all the essential stuff and reformatted it. And sometimes you need to reformat your relationships. A new beginning, a fresh start. The Bible says you're a new creation, so be new. Reformat. This week, uh, Wendy, Roxanne, and I, as I told you, did the weekly podcast for the church. And as we were discussing Revelation chapter 5, that worship service in heaven, it mentioned something I found very interesting that I ended up talking a little bit about it in the podcast. It says, in heaven, during this great galactic worship service with all these creatures and all of the redeemed and all the angels there at the throne of God, it says, and they sang a new song. And I jokingly said to the ladies, oh, it's going to be a hard day for Baptists because we don't like new songs. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? And, and it caused me to wonder, why did it say that? Why, why does it specifically mention a new song? What do we care? We're in heaven. Well, will we care if it's a new song or an old song? Well, it's not that it's a new words or something that we don't know. There's no choir director that's going to say, okay, okay, I know this is new, but give, give it a chance. You know, a couple million years, you'll warm up to it. No, what it means is it's a new beginning. We're in heaven for eternity. Game over. We have no more worries or problems or temptations or sin or anything else that's bogging us down. We have no hurt feelings in relationships, no, no past issues of any kind. It's all new. We will never be in heaven saying to one another, you remember what you did when I was in ninth grade? That was so rude. No, never, never. It's gone. Well, God says the kingdom of heaven has begun now. And as living as Christians, we're supposed to let the old go so God can be glorified in our life. The new. It's time for a new start. Are your relationships stuck? Are you shackled by the past? Time for a new song. By the way, now's the time. I told you that earlier. Don't wait. You may be thinking, Pastor, this would be really good for a New Year's sermon. Won't you preach us at New Year's? And when I make my New Year's resolutions, I'll do it then. I'll wait till then. No, you won't do it then. You won't. If the only thing that, that's getting you to do something is a date, then you're not going to do it. You know it, do you not? Don't raise your hands. How many of you or how many of us went on a diet January 1st? How's that going? How many resolutions that do we make on January 1st that don't last very long? Paul would say, no, don't wait till January, right now. God wants you to do it right now. He wants that for us right here, right now. Let it go. If you really want to go on a diet, start right now. 
How many times do you say, because you got chocolate cake in the fridge, I'm going to start tomorrow. Well, there'll always, there'll always be some bluebell in the freezer, especially if you got kids. Now, now is the time to start fresh in your life. Will you let God do that today in your relationships? Pray with me. Father, can we come to you this morning and we ask and pray that you would transform our relationships right now, starting with us. We all have baggage. We have trash in our life. And we can blame others. And maybe it is their fault. But how long have we been carrying that trash around? Do we plan to let it shackle us for the rest of our life? So we come to you right now. You tell us to get rid of it. So Father, I pray that you would give us the strength in the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, right now to let it go. Whatever hurt, whatever pain, whatever unforgiveness, whatever's happened to us, whatever's been done to us, Father, we release it right now in the name of Jesus. That our identity because of Jesus is to be a life of joy, of hope, of fullness, not bitterness. We give it to you. As you're praying, no one's looking around, can I challenge you right now? What is there in your life like that bag of trash that you are holding on to? It's toxic. It reeks and it's weighing you down. Let it go right now. What is there in your relationships with your parents, your spouse, your children, your neighbor, your boss, your teacher? What is there in your life that's toxic in those relationships? Let it go. Have a fresh start. Say, Lord, the next time I see them, as soon as I see them, whatever bygones are, are, are behind us, I'm going to let it go. I'm going to let it be bygones. I'm going to forgive them. I'm never going to mention it again. I'm just going to move forward with peace in this relationship. Would you be willing to make that commitment today to your God? God wants to make all things new if you let him. Would you stand? No one's looking around. And as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed and you continue to pray, this invitation is for you. Maybe you want to come down and say, Pastor, we'd like to join with this body of believers. We want to live out our salvation here in this place. Or maybe God is calling you to give your life to Jesus. You know you need to do that. You've never been baptized and you know you need to be baptized as well. That's how you make that profession of faith public. It doesn't save you, but it is a first step of obedience. Or maybe you just want to come and kneel and pray and say, God, I release this to you right now. I'll never pick it up again. I want to move forward. As we pray, you come.